All right, if you want to come back, grab your seat. And if you have your Bibles or apps on your iPhones, you can open up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. So baseball season is starting, and I'm very excited. I'm a big Diamondbacks fan. I uh, love baseball, played it in college. Uh, there's a, an old... Uh, catcher from the New York Yankees named Yogi Berra. Some of you know Yogi Berra. is kind of famous for different sound bites, saying ridiculous things. He's the one that's known for saying it's like deja vu all over again. And when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Well, there's a story about Yogi Berra. After a game uh, in New York, went to his favorite pizza parlor. And as he was there, the cook was excited. We have this all-star catcher here going to make him a great pizza pie. And as he brought it out, he said to Yogi, Yogi, how would you like this cut? In six slices or eight? And Yogi said, well, better make it six, because I don't think I can eat eight slices of pizza. <laughs> One of these Yogi-isms, right? And I hear that, and I'm like, I, I get it. I get it, Yogi. They all think you're ridiculous, but it's a psychological thing. Six slices instead of eight, same pizza. Same amount. Yes. Uh, I wanted to share that story because we're, we're talking about a story that involves food today. And in a, in a, a certain quantity of food that's kind of difficult to wrap our minds around when we try to understand the quantity of food uh, that's in this story. And the story is in John chapter 6. And we've been going through the Gospel of John as we uh, kind of go through this Lenten season. We've been asking you to just read John. Uh, this season over and over again. We have a journal that you can read and it'll ask questions and kind of help uh, reflect and study the scripture. Um, and what's interesting about this story is it's, it's a miracle that takes place, but not only is it just a, a miracle that is an amazing story, this is found in all four of the gospel accounts of Jesus. The old pastor Spur Charles Spurgeon says, because it's found in all four, we should pay attention to what's happening here. And it's a story that you might even be pretty familiar with. And I just want to read the story, and then we'll kind of look at what, what's going on here. John chapter 6, verse 1. It starts with, Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. And the Jewish Passover feast festival was near. And Jesus, when Jesus looked up and saw this great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in his mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than a year's wages, more than half a year's wages, to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will it go among so many? And Jesus said, well, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated, as much as they wanted. 
And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Pretty fascinating story. This is Jesus feeding the 5,000. We talked about how the Gospel of John, John is written by this expert storyteller. And as we read through John, what we find is if John was a swimming pool, it would be shallow enough that a toddler could wade through it safely, yet deep enough that an elephant could swim in it. This is the the master storyteller at work. And and this story is the same. We, We see that especially in this story. We read it and we think this is an amazing story, and yet at the same time, there's depths, there's depth and layers to it. And it's a story about God providing abundant food, and it's so much more. This week, my children had a science fair project at school. So Micah and Sophia were working on their science projects. Um, when I was in school, science wasn't really my thing. I was more of like a history, social studies guy. Um, and my son, Mike, is fascinated by science. And so as he started to work on his project, um, he was very determined and very specific on what kind of experiment he wanted to uh, conduct. And it's different now, elementary school. Some of you have kids in elementary school. It's very different. They, they could just go online and figure out how to do everything. We didn't have that. And so he picked out this, this, uh, this project um, where he took three pieces of bread. And he wanted to figure out basically like what you know, bacteria, what kind of effect that has on bread. And so the, the assignment was to uh, touch one piece of bread with dirty hands, and then wash your hands, touch another piece of bread, and then leave one piece of bread just completely clean. And then he was going to leave it on the counter for two weeks and see how the bread molded, what happened when the bacteria grow, grew. And uh, so he comes up with this hypothesis, conducts the experiment, uh, puts the bread on our counter, and every day would go to see if there was any change in the bread. And he had read this assignment online, so he kind of knew like what the results were supposed to be and what the conclusion was going to be. Uh, but as the week progressed and we got into the 10-day period and then to the next week, what we found is that the bread hadn't changed at all. And so Micah's got the entire assignment on this poster and kind of knows like what's supposed to happen. And he's like, it's not happening. And I'm sitting there looking at the bread like, why isn't it happening? Uh, and you get to the end, he's getting ready to turn the assignment in. And he's like, dad, the results aren't what I was anticipating. The conclusion is supposed to be different than what the conclusion is. So did the assignment fail? Did the experiment fail? And I said, I don't know what you're going to write down for your conclusion, but here's one thing you can write down, is that your mom and I need to buy different bread. (laughs) What are we putting into our body? It's been sitting there on the counter for weeks. In this story about bread, it tells us that the bread is barley bread. And barley bread is the bread of the poor. This is very poor quality bread. The boy that comes with Jesus 
hands them five loaves of barley bread, this crusty old bread. And then there's two fish. We know this takes place, it says, near the Sea of Galilee. And if you study the life of Jesus, what you find is much of his ministry takes place around this lake. Uh, kind of home base is out of this town called Capernaum. And it says it's also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And Tiberias is this town on the southwest bank of the, the Sea of Galilee. And it was built there by Herod, named after the emperor of Rome. So by the time this story is written, it might be the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And it was this fishing community. So people just live off the lake. And in, in this time, fishing was a, 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 you know, a, a great thing for their economy. They would sell the fish. But obviously, they don't have like, ways to freeze the fish. And so what would happen is they would pickle the fish. There would be like these sardines from the lake of Tiberias that they would pickle and send them all around the empire to eat. It kind of became known as that for, for great, great fish. And this boy shows up with two of these fish that were probably pickled and used kind of like as relish to put on this crusty bread. And what's amazing is that the, the barley bread and the two fish become the means for Jesus to work this, this miracle where he provides abundantly for this community. And we read that story, and if we just stop there, it is an amazing story that God takes something so insignificant and does something amazing. It's similar to the wedding at Cana where God takes water and turns it into wine. He takes something that's ordinary and he turns it into something that is extraordinary. And if we stop there, it's a beautiful story. But I also want to look at four characters that are in this story. Because I think that as we, as we read the story and the details of these characters comes out, what we find is that we identify with the people in the story. The first character is this man named Philip. I want to look at Philip and his reaction. Going back to verse 5, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw the crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked them, this only to test him. He had already had in his mind what he was going to do. And here's Philip's response. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And he says that with an exclamation point. So I'm wondering like, what that would have been like to hear that conversation. I mean, Philip basically looks at Jesus and says, that's crazy. We can't do that. Feed 5,000 men, and it just says men, so who knows how many women and children are there? We can't do that. His response to this situation is, in a sense, there's some like, wisdom here, right? He's, looking, he's, he's being very realistic. We know that Philip kind of grew up in this town, so maybe Jesus was asking him because he, was, like, he knew the local foodie scene. I don't know. Peter, Philip's response here, though, to this situation is, there's nothing we can do about it. There is nothing we can do about this. And I think that's an interesting response. And it's an interesting response because we see what eventually happens. And I wonder, how often in our life do we respond to situations this way? Especially situations of scarcity, situations that seem hopeless. I mean, it sounds very smart, very reasonable, very realistic. There's nothing we can do, nothing that we can do about it. And yet what we find here in this story is that when God wants to do a work in a situation, whatever obstacle is in the way turns in, 
to an opportunity for his glory to be revealed. And we see that here, this obstacle of scarcity becomes the opportunity for Jesus to work. Philip says there's nothing that we can do. So that's the first response. Second response is from Andrew, the second character in the story. Andrew. It says another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. He says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? So Peter, or Philip's response is, there's nothing we can do. Andrew's response is, maybe there is something we can do. And he brings forth this boy and he says, here's some food. And I wonder like what Andrew's thinking. I, I tend to, to believe that he's hopeful, that he brings this boy saying, there's actually food in this crowd. Maybe there's more. Or maybe he's seen the wedding at Cana, Jesus turning water into wine, and he knows there's some food here. Who knows what Jesus can do with it? But when Philip's response is, there's nothing we can do, Andrew's response is, there might be something. There might be something. And, it, and who knows what's going through his mind, because he says, but this isn't very much, you know, there's obviously, it's not enough for 5,000 people. But he brings this boy to Jesus, and he's hopeful. He's hopeful. His response to the situation that seems hopeless is very different than Philip's. And I wonder if he is anticipating a movement of God, and therefore he's willing to do whatever it takes. Andrew and Philip both respond very differently to this circumstance. Each of us is faced every day with different circumstances. And I wonder, how do we respond? Are we in tune with the heart of God, with the will of God, with what God is doing among us? Andrew's hopeful. Another thing that is interesting is that Andrew doesn't necessarily do anything else but to bring this boy to the feet of Jesus. He sees something here that God can use to bless the whole community. He's aware and in tune of this five loaves and two fish. Two fish. Fishes? Fishy? Fish? Fish eye? Two fish. <clears throat> brings, it, brings it to Jesus. <laughs> and I think that's interesting, too, because it tells us something else about different circumstances. There's this old story about this German schoolmaster that was teaching at this all-boys school he would show up every morning, and he would, the class would sit down, and he would take off his hat, and he would do this ceremonial, ceremonial bow to the class. And he treated his students like they were royalty. And one of the other teachers was confused by this, you know, with the, he's, why would you do that to these children? And the schoolmaster would say, because I don't know what these children are going to become. But I believe that each one of them has the potential to be great, and I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness every morning. One of those children ended up being Martin Luther. This is something that influenced the life of Martin Luther, the way that he was treated with such dignity in his upbringing. We know Martin Luther becomes one of the most famous theologians of his time. 
ends up reforming the church and all sorts of different things, but he was no doubt influential. I think what's interesting here is that as Andrew looks at the situation that seems hopeless, he brings this boy to Jesus. He sees something in this boy and he brings him forward. And then because of that, the whole community is blessed abundantly. There's something about bringing someone else to Jesus. We never know what's going to happen. And I would say, we never know the possibilities that we are releasing when we bring someone to Jesus. We never know the possibilities that we are bringing, releasing when someone encounters Christ. This is why we should all serve in the children's ministry at Desert City Church. <laughs> no. But when we think about our lives, when we, when we consider the different circumstances, we have no idea. All we're called to do is to bring people to Jesus. All we're called to do is have eyes and, that see, hopefully, that any circumstance can change when we encounter Christ. This is why we do things like Teach One to Lead One, the organization that mentors children in schools. This is why we uh, care so much about our children at this church. This isn't a time of, of just babysitting or managing them. It's a time of saying, uh, we want to just lead you to Christ and watch God unleash your spiritual God-given gifts and potential because any one of you can change the world. Because we have eyes to see that in people. That we bring them to Christ. Who knows what we're unleashing? The whole community is blessed because of it. May we have the eyes to see as Andrew did. The third character is this boy. Never gives us the boy's name. Doesn't give us a whole lot of detail other than he's got the barley bread, which means, you know, maybe he comes from a very humble circumstance or maybe, you know, the parents are like, you're probably going to lose the food anyways. We'll just give you the barley bread. I don't know what's going on here. But what's so interesting to me is that he's generous with his lunch. He comes and says, sure, take the barley bread, take the fish. And he places it in the hands of Jesus. And he's willing. And from him just giving this simple gift, the whole community is blessed. And what we learn here is that with Christ, the most insignificant people and most inadequate resources can get turned into something miraculous. This boy comes with the barley bread and the fish, lays it in Jesus' hands. And Jesus does something spectacular with it. We see from his generosity, from his sacrifice, in very ordinary things, he unleashes something that God can use that becomes a blessing for the whole community. And I think there's something there that is so important for us when we consider the needs of the world around us, that God uses our ordinary gifts, attempts, inadequate resources to do amazing things. William Barclay wrote a commentary on the story, says this, it may well be that the world is denied miracle after miracle and triumph after triumph because we will not bring to Jesus what we have and what we are. If we would lay ourselves on the altar of his service, there is no saying what he could do with us and through us. Little is always much in the hands of Christ. And I think that's 
true of our church as well. We're starting this church here in Desert Ridge. Ordinary people, limited resources. And yet people who are willing to say, I believe God is up to something in these circumstances in this community. And as we show up and give of ourselves, God does something miraculous here. Whatever obstacles we face become opportunities for God to reveal his glory more and more. And then there's this fourth character in the story, Jesus. What we find is that this is a story about Jesus, much like the wedding at Cana is about Jesus, and the story of Nicodemus was about Jesus, and the story of the woman at the well was about Jesus. This is ultimately a story about Jesus, who was at the center, the subject of the story. It tells us a few things about Jesus in the story. The first is that Jesus is not limited by our inadequate resources. Jesus is not limited by our inadequate resources. When he wants to do something, he takes the little things that we give him and turns it into an abundance for the community. The second thing is that when we give our all to Christ, he doesn't just barely meet our needs, but he brings about an abundance. In this story, there's 12 baskets full of bread. And there's something else going on with what's happening symbolically there. But there's 12 baskets left of bread. That means Jesus didn't just meet the needs of this community, but he's provided this abundance and says, don't let any of it go to waste. Gather it up. When you show up, with, give Jesus what we have. He doesn't just meet our needs, but he does something abundantly for a community. Here's what I've found. When we have this encounter with the infinite God who gives us life that is eternal, we're never limited by our finite resources and temporary time frames. When we encounter the God, God who is infinite, and experience life that is eternal, we're never limited by our finite resources or temporary time frames. And I think that has huge implications for us as a church community. And I think it has huge implications for us individually. It has huge implications for our family. It's that we serve this God who is eternal, all-powerful, almighty. And he's gracious and loving. And life with him is abundant. And over and over again, John in his gospel says that Jesus gives us life. Life to the full. Life eternal. Life that is truly life. When we encounter him, we experience that in all sorts of different ways. And then this is what Jesus says about himself in this passage. As Jesus is uh, communicating with the disciples, the story takes place, and afterwards they're having this conversation, and he's kind of unpacking what just happened. And Jesus says these words. It says that Jesus declared in verse 35 that I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says there's something that's happening here with physical bread meeting physical needs, but there's something much deeper happening here that you find that I am the source of life and I am who sustains life, life that is eternal. And when you have this encounter with Jesus, you never go hungry. 
again. There's a spiritual life that is given and sustained encountering Jesus. We've talked about this, the, the bread, the true bread, in which we never go hungry. This is a story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, but this is a story about the true source of life that keeps us from ever going hungry. And I think this is important because ever since the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, we've been searching for life and fulfillment outside of God. As I was kind of reading through this passage this week and as I was looking at my journal and reflecting, here's what I learned is that I'm constantly seeking life and contentment outside of God. And I just started to write down a few things that I seek to feed off of and then how that makes me feel. Here's a few things that I found. When I try to feed off my accomplishments, my soul grows thin and weary. When I try to feed off what other people think, other people's approval, my soul grows anxious. When I try to feed off of a substance, my soul becomes codependent and addicted. When I try to feed off of a relationship, people fail. When I try to feed off my ego, I end up hurting others. I wonder it is, what it is in your life that you feed off of. Jesus says, come to me. I'm the bread of life. In me, you will never go hungry again. This doesn't mean that when you encounter Jesus, everything in life becomes hunky-dory, easy. But this gives a, a sustenance that is eternal, that is put inside of us, a steadfast spirit that says... I have encountered the infinite God. This gives me life eternal. I don't know about you, but I, I don't ever want to go hungry. We experience hunger because of loss. We experience hunger because of longings. We experience hunger because of loneliness. And Jesus invites us to a life everlasting. He invites us to that life today. Tim's going to come back up and close us with a time of, of prayer and communion. And we do this thing of communion which reminds us of this bread of life. We take a piece of bread that's symbolic of the body of Christ that was broken open on the cross. And all of the ways that we hunger and long for things that leave us unfulfilled, the ways that we miss the mark of how God has designed us to live, all the consequences that come from those longings. On the cross, Jesus, Jesus makes a way. On the cross, Jesus conquers our sin. On the cross, Jesus absorbs our brokenness. On the cross, Jesus is broken open, but life is poured out represents this bread of life. And we take juice, and the juice represents this blood of Christ that is shed on the cross that cleanses all of our iniquities. The story that we're a part of, we experience life because the death that we were headed towards, Jesus takes upon the cross, and he conquers it. 
And when we take communion, this is a symbolic thing that we do that is sacred, that is this reminder of what God has done for us. We're told to do this in remembrance of that. But then we also take it and we proclaim it, that this is our story, but this is the story for all humanity. We want others to know this story. We proclaim it and we live it. Maybe today as we come to the communion table, we need to come with eyes attuned to what God is doing in our circumstances. This infinite God who offers eternal life. In what ways do we need to be hopeful? In what ways do we need to provide simple resources so that God could take them and do great things? In what ways do we need to turn away from the things that we are trying to meet our hunger needs so that we can experience life that is truly life in Christ? When you're ready today, spend some time reflecting. You can move to the communion table considering such things. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for stories. These stories that are found in your word. They're thousands of years old. And yet they're alive and active. Lord, we want to see We want to see stories like this in our day. Your glory revealed miracles to happen, that you would bless this community with the abundance of your life. We know that starts with us individually, within our own soul. We know that moves through our community and spills into the neighborhood. Lord, we show up and say, here we are. Use us, transform us, make us more like you. May we tap into your infinite love and power. May we experience life that is eternal. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts today. Fill us with the bread of life, your spirit. We love you, Lord. Amen.